Hey, everybody, it's JT from Grilling at the Green. John Breaker and the great folks at Birdie Ball have a short time offer for all of you listeners. You just go to birdieball.com, and when you place your order, there's a place on that form for a discount code. Use G-A-T-G. That's G-A-T-G. Of course, it stands for Grilling at the Green. And you will get 20% off anything you order from birdieball.com. Now, it's a short-time offer. It expires in about a week, so you want to get on it. Go to birdieball.com, place your order, uh, use the code G-A-T-G, and get 20% off. You heard it here on Grilling at the Green. It's time for Grilling at the Green. Join Jeff Tracy as he explores the golfing lifestyle and tries to keep it in the short grass for the hackers, dew sweepers, and turf spankers. Here's Jeff. Just open up the door and let's take good times in. Tomorrow's gonna be better than today. Hey everybody, welcome to Grilling at the Green. I'm JT and this is the show where every week we talk about golf and the people that really love the sport and are very much involved in it. And we're based here in Portland on AM860 The Answer and we appreciate that and everybody here at the Salem Network. Um, Kurt Sampson, you may not recognize him because he's one of those writers that's always lived somewhere else. But I'm sure you've probably read his work if you've ever read uh, Golf Digest or Golf Magazine, Sports Illustrated, um, done documentaries for CBS, HBO, ESPN, uh, 14 books, I think, by now. So we're going to be talking. 18? (laughs) Oh, my word. So we're going to be talking to Kurt here in just a minute. Um, And we're going to start out with talking about the the book you wrote about Ben Hogan, because I'm kind of fascinated by that, because... Of all the major players in golf, Hogan's the one, historically, that never seems to go away. And I don't say that mean. I'm just saying that. Um, and quickly, this segment of Grilling at the Green is brought to you by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Okay. Let's welcome Kurt Sampson. And Kurt and I have some mutual friends we've never met, but uh, and I've always enjoyed his work. So welcome, Kurt. How are you? Thank you, JT. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on your show. No worries. No worries. So <clears throat> before we get into all the books and all the stories and all the interviews and all that kind of stuff, I do have to ask you one question, though. How did, how did you describe yourself? An incompetent professional golfer. Tell us how you got um, into that. I, I know you did some caddying when you were a kid and tried to sneak on the courses and things like that, but that kind of gave you the background and the impetus to become a golf writer? Uh, yes, it's a tangled web, but also a fairly uh, straight line, I, I guess. I was a, a good enough young player, won some junior tournaments and even a bit in uh, in college. I played four years of college golf, and I think I didn't have another thought in my head um, but to stay in golf and be a professional. And I worked in clubs. I toured the world for a while. And I was not good at it. I, um, <laughs> as bad as I was as a uh, as a guy as a tournament player, I was worse as a club pro. I I, um, I was I, I rose to my level of incompetence, as they say. And um, then there was a ten-year hiatus where I did other stuff, and um, it's fully thirty years now that I've been a full-time freelance writer. Well, when I read your description of your of your golf career, I was laughing because I thought. Uh, mine's like four levels below that. So we'll get along just fine. <laughs> and we have a mutual friend in Jim Dodson. So 
There you go. Uh, we do. I, I've been speaking with uh, Jim a lot lately. He was kind enough to give me a blurb for uh, my new book uh, called Roaring Back, which will be on your grocery shelves uh, October 29th, uh, available for pre-order. There's my commercial. There you go. And uh, we are going to have you back on the show for that because that's uh, Roaring Back is about Tiger Woods's fall and then rise again. It's not the rise and fall. It's the antithesis of that. And I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you're doing that book, even though I haven't seen it yet. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer in second, third, and fourth chances. So there you go. Anyway, um, so the Hogan book. You wrote the Hogan book back in the mid '90s, and when I made that comment about Hogan uh, earlier when we started the show, you know, I I went back and reread the, you know, your book before we did this show, because I'd read it oh, several years ago, but I went back and reread it. And I just got to ask you this straight, Kurt, Ben Hogan wasn't a particularly nice guy, was he? Oh, goodness, no. No, um, he was all about Ben Hogan. Um, really, I, I think that there's a level of selfishness that occurs in a lot of professional athletes, uh, maybe particularly the ones in the individual sports like golf and uh and tennis it was oh, maybe more cute in ben hogan who felt the world was against him from an early age a poor kid whose uh, father was a suicide when when ben was uh nine so from poverty the the hogan family there were uh the mother uh and three kids uh they went into another kind of abject poverty i think more uh so than not just having uh, good food on the table or money around, but uh, the sort of spiritual um, poverty that would result from, you know, that sudden violent death of the father. Well, you know, Ben had a tough road, and so did his brother Royal and, and, and the whole family, like you said, but uh, it doesn't seem like he was ever able to shake that throughout his life. I watched some films, clips, of him this would have been back in the maybe late 80s early 90s he did some interviews and uh you know you could tell though it bothered him when he was talking about you know the toughness of a kid and and the life he had and and uh you know sometimes lack of food and um you know sleeping in the sleeping in the sand bunkers to try to get a loop in the morning and stuff like that it, it even when he was late in life, it still bugged him. I think so. And yet, at the same time, Jeff, uh, there was a, 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 I wouldn't call it a perverse pride, but there was a real uh, pride in him for having endured really uh, hard times when, when he was a kid. I, I know he, he thought it made him uh, tougher as a, as a competitor and uh, basically a better golfer because, um, you know, it, it, it his whole life had been such a, a, a trial. He applied that to golf. He just was a guy who absolutely wouldn't quit, absolutely wouldn't leave the practice tee until it got dark. Um, it paid off for him. Um, still, as you say, um, or, or implied, um, he wasn't, I don't find him to have ever been a very happy man. Yeah. Yeah, he seemed to, you know, because he was so close to his wife, you know, you read about the interactions and there's other people like guys that caddied and shagged balls for him and stuff like that. And 
And even though they, there was times he was very nice to him or he gave him clubs or he gave him money or he talked to him and gave him a reference or what have you, they they still never felt like they got to know the guy. That's, that was, yeah, right. That was a story I, I heard over and over and have been hearing ever since I wrote the book. Uh, interview whatever old pro uh, who said, yeah, I played a lot of practice rounds with him. Uh, we repaired in this tournament and that. Uh, the, the bottom line was they'd say they, they knew him but didn't really know him. Um, he, he wasn't a guy to share or, or, or melt. He had his own uh, agenda. And um, I don't I'm, I hope I'm not painting a picture of him sociopath here. No, 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 no. He's just extremely, uh, extremely focused on what, on what he had to do. Yeah. I mean, that's the, after you read your book and you read some other stuff about the man and you, and you, you know, watch specials about him on TV and all that stuff that goes with it. You know, when you're first reading it, this is the way my emotional scale kind of went. I went, <clears throat> this guy had a tough life. And then you go in and, and he was playing and he was, it was tough out there for him on tour. He wasn't doing very good for a number of years. Um, you know, stealing wheels off his car and stuff like that. And he was really broke. Uh, and then all of a sudden he went back and he was, you know, as he would say, digging it out of the dirt and he came back out on tour and he started doing good. And then you kind of found out how he kind of treated other people. Um, and then you think, man, this guy isn't a very nice guy. Then you have the car wreck and the, you know, the bus wreck and that. And, and so this, it's this really emotional roller coaster with Ben Hogan. In the second paragraph of the stories, uh, uh, they quoted Valerie, his wife, just before the Greyhound bus hit them. Ben threw his body sideways and protected her from, uh, from harm. Uh, and she was basically unhurt. Yes. Uh, he got, he got clobbered in about, eight or ten bones broke at the same time and uh he had internal injuries and all these broken bones and several months in the hospital and because he'd saved his wife's life it was partly self-preservation i'm sure uh but at least uh it had the effect of saving valerie and she told the media over and over uh, now he's a popular guy and i i, I have doubts that he had changed as an individual, but the world had changed toward him. Sure, uh, sure. So it's a complicated cut back and forth, you can imagine. Oh, yeah. Hey, we're talking with Kurt Sampson here on Grilling at the Green. Thanks for listening. We're going to take a break here, and we're going to be back in just a couple minutes. Don't go away. Barclays for your gold, silver, collectibles, rare coins, and high-quality jewelry. Barclays in Oregon, 503-982-2033. That's 503-982-2033. Barclays by sellpond.com. Hey, welcome back to Growing at the Green. I'm Jeff Tracy, or JT as they call me. We're speaking with Kurt Sampson today, the author of 18 books. I've been corrected, and that is a lot of work. I <laughs> uh, would like to thank our friends down at Langdon Farms for their grill special on friday night they have a prime rib special on friday night and also on tuesday night they have a rib and they've added some chicken to that kind of a barbecue night there down at the langdon grill you can check them out online at langdonfarms.com if you'd like to email us it's golf at salempdx.com golf at salempdx.com and of course we have facebook grilling at the green and twitter with the same thing and we've got all those platforms but it's not as important as talking here with kurt sampson 
Um, we were talking about the Hogan book he wrote back in the mid '90s, which is it's still selling, I think, and it and uh, it's a it's a great read because it really gives you some in depth. I mean, there were people like Dan Jenkins who carried the torch for Hogan forever until Dan passed away, and that's fine because he knew Hogan. He played golf with Hogan. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess you could call them friends or whatever, but he really, uh, thought Hogan was the best of the best forever. And, um, and you know, but sometimes when you shed light on these folks, it's tough because you figure out that maybe they're not so shiny and I'm not saying Hogan wasn't, I'm just saying that through history, we've kind of seen that a time or two with folks and especially, you know, uh, sports stars. But <clears throat> I got to ask you this. I have my opinion yeah. on what it is. What was Hogan's secret? Uh, uh, that's a rich uh, <laughs> um, topic. So many people had an opinion on that. His contemporaries, this curling of the wrist, this thing with the hip, something with footwork, um, the backswing. I, 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 I basically, he told so many. He, he had Hogan had this thing where he would whisper to various guys, particularly ones who wanted to help. Um, he, you know, he'd get in their ear and say, no, this is, this is the secret. Don't tell anyone. And it varied over time. Yeah. So I don't think there was a secret. I, I tend to agree with what, uh, the way Dan Jenkins came down on the subject, which is that his secret was practice. Uh, right out there in the open, just watch what he's doing, not the details of what he's doing, uh, but that he is hitting ball after ball, trying shot after shot. That's it. You may, I, I, Jeff, I'd like to hear uh, your take on that. Um, you know, I've read most of them, like you said, cupping the wrist, uh, you know, movement of the hip, dropping down a little more. I think you nailed it there, and I've thought that for several years now. Because when the one thing that he said in a consistency is digging it out of the dirt, you got to dig it out of the dirt. Well, that's what it meant to me was just hitting, you know, a thousand golf balls a day or whatever he did. And like you said, you know, they would go play in a tournament. <clears throat> All the other guys were going to the bar and there was Hogan out there sometimes with, you know, the headlights of a car on him. Happened more than once. Yes. Yeah. You know, swatting balls. And that's, that's what I think it was just excessive practice and, you know, grooving his own swing or whatever, whatever you want to call it, but it was just hitting a lot of balls. You see uh, tour players nowadays um, absorb, who have absorbed that uh, bit of wisdom, and they hit balls, a lot of them, before they play, and then they play, and then half hit after. I don't, sometimes I don't think they're doing it right. I, I really think they're filling up time. I don't think they had... Uh, or few guys could do this drill the way Hogan did, in which each two iron from a skinny lie he would hit, it was as if it was for a U.S. Open. Mm -hmm. He he had this strange kind of mind and uh, focus that would allow him to practice that way. Where, I don't know, go to any practice team, um, see guys hitting balls as if they're trying to memorize a move or, or as if it's uh, their uh, rote learning is the, is the way to go. It's not exactly the way Hogan did it. Um, for him, it was uh, fantasy land for hour after hour in which he pretended this was the shot he needed. 
Well, and you, when you talk to, all right, you talk to, I never talked to him, but you uh, read and listen to what some of the guys, again, that, you know, shag balls for him and stuff. They would go out there however far he wanted them to go. And they would say that they hardly had to move. You know, they'd, yeah. they'd put the they'd put the bag, the bowling ball bag or whatever it was down that they, you know, originally dumped out the balls in and that they probably didn't move, you know, 20 feet either direction. Yeah. And yeah. and that's not the, that's not the case today with the pros, because, I mean, yeah, they can swat it nine million miles. And, you know, I think Tiger can pretty much dial it into where he wants. And there's a few other ones. But could they do it 100 times in a row? That's a big question. You know, I, I was just thinking as you were saying that about an, uh, another great practicer and uh, ball striker in the same category as Hogan, uh, and I mean Lee Trevino. Trevino, um, for quite a while, I know, practices um, uh, uh, by playing a hole at a time in a way. In other words, he'll um, uh, bear down on a driver and he's picturing in his mind the second hole uh, that's a driver and eight iron, and then he hits an eight iron, mm-hmm. and then he maybe pretends he hit it in the uh, um, off the green, and he's got to hit a pitch. So uh, he'll go. That's that's Trevino's practice mode. That's a, a unrelated in a way, except that um, also a great striker, also a guy who really concentrated in practice. Well, you know, and if we go back, Kurt, to when Hogan was a a small child, you know, and after his dad was gone and all that, I mean, his his focus had to be on survival. I mean, really, you know, I know his mom worked and, and, you know, she was a seamstress and she did a lot of things and, and moms will do that to provide for their family. But as a young kid and you see other kids and maybe the other kids got a new pair of shoes and you haven't had a new pair of shoes for a year and a half or something. You know, so I think his laser focus came from basically a survival instinct. I I, I agree. Um, it's of a of a piece, uh, isn't it? And it's such a strange way, after all, in uh, um, 1936, 38, when Hogan and, and Nelson uh, in the midst of the Depression say, well, I'm a golf pro now. Yeah. What is that? How are you going to make your way? I mean, the country is in a horrible financial strait and you're a golf pro. Yeah. So it was a kind of a, a, a flyer that those guys took. In some sense, there was not the hell, a heck of a lot of uh, other things to, to do and they were good at it. No, nope. um, Hogan brought everything to bear. Nope, not much. We're going to take another break here. We're going to be back with Kurt Sampson in just a couple minutes. Don't go away. You're listening to Grilling at the Green, not on, but at, uh, on AM860, The Answer here in Portland. Stay with us. It's Barclays for your gold, silver, collectibles, rare coins, and high-quality jewelry. That's Barclays in Oregon, 503-982-2033, 503-982-2033, at Hey, welcome back to Grilling at the Green. I'm JT. Today we're talking with Kurt Sampson, and before we uh, ask Kurt some more pressing questions, I uh, want to mention that Painted Hills Natural Beef, again, is one of our sponsors here on the show. Beef just like Grandpa used to raise. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. And Kurt probably didn't know this, but also one of our sponsors is Ben Hogan Golf. Tour quality clubs at factory direct prices. That's BenHoganGolf.com. Um, 
I, I've always, they're good guys down there at Ben Hogan Golf. I like them a lot. I, I, I play the clubs. They're excellent. Yeah, I got a set this summer, and uh, I'm waiting for a new driver. But, yeah, they're great. I love them. I just love them. If I could just learn to hit them like a reasonable person, then I could, uh, you know, but that's been my problem with the golf swing for 40 years now. So who's counting? <laughs> you can do it, Jeff. I can do it. Just I will. Dig it out of the dirt. Yep. Dig it out of the dirt. I played last Thursday. I was digging it out of the dirt, Kurt. I'm <laughs> and behind the tree and in the branches. And I, mm-hmm. I just didn't make it in the water. That was the good part. That was the good part. Where, when you went to do this book on Hogan, um, mm-hmm. were, uh, were the Hogan people, I'm not talking about Hogan golf. I'm talking about the family members and people of his estate or whatever. Were they cooperative with you? You know, um, I hope this answer isn't too long. Um, um, that, and it's a, well, maybe slightly complicated by the fact that by the time um, I got this uh, this deal to write this book. Um, Hogan was slightly around the bend mentally with uh, age and dementia, um, possibly alcoholic dementia. He uh, His memory was not there. He wasn't a guy to talk to the, the media anyway. Right. Um, but... Um, there, there were no roadblocks. Um, uh, a previous book of mine, which is still, thank goodness, still in, in print, it's called The Eternal Summer, which was about Hogan and Palmer and Nicholas in 1960, the one year the three of them competed each, against each other in a pretty meaningful way. Um, um, Hogan um, said, uh, I don't know, through his secretary, said, yes, he, uh, he'd help, and I was... Uh, Welcome to whatever help they could provide in the in the office there of looks at files and so forth. So there wasn't a, a roadblock put up. Um, it's just that I was not going to have much uh, contact with uh, Mr. Hogan. I he and I spoke in person. I think only twice. If you uh, other than hello, Mr. Hogan. Good morning, which I said quite a few times because I was often at uh, his club, uh, and a few times on the phone. So I don't want to exaggerate my um, sure. access. Sure. Um, it, it, it just uh, it couldn't be there. Even if I, would, I had charmed him into some long, uh, drawn-out conversations, he wasn't capable by the time I started writing his biography. I saw him once. Um, I didn't talk to him, but I was staying at a hotel and uh, I was I was in the horse business in those days and was judging a show down there. And we were staying in a hotel close to the club and I saw him in the corner and I kind of looked. I didn't know really who it was. And they said, oh, that's Ben Hogan. I said, oh, OK, don't go over there. OK, I won't <laughs> you know, type thing. Yeah. Um, and he was just sitting there in the corner, kind of eating his lunch, looking out the window. So, you know, that's as, that's as close to that guy as I ever got. Yeah, <laughs> and and freeze that uh, memory because that was him for uh, the last I don't know uh, some percent of of his life. He had a this interesting uh, daily ritual of uh, work in air quotes uh, from about eleven to noon, and then uh, a drive out to his club where he had 
observe the various stations of his lunch, which include tumblers of white wine and uh, vodka drinks. And then a, um, and I'm talking about uh, uh, the very old Hogan, and then he'd take a shower for about an hour, uh, um, trying to get to loosen up that source old body of his. And then back in the brown or gray or dark blue business suit for, uh, I can't remember if there was then one more, Snapper and then home to Valerie. That was that was a day. Yeah. Well, it kept him busy, I guess. Yeah. Kept- not not bad compared to um, I don't know, just turning on CNN or opening a, a newspaper. No, no. I mean, he had a he had a purpose, um, and especially in his mind, even though he wasn't probably physically capable of doing tons of stuff anymore, he was still there. So, um, you know, because. Uh, I don't know how to explain it. It's like the old, uh, you know, executive that his son took over the company, but he still got an office there, you know, I guess. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe that's mm-hmm. a good analogy. I'm not sure. Yeah, um, not bad. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's just it's just fascinating to me because they still go back. When I say they, TV commentators and stuff, people in my business in the radio, they still go back and always refer to Hogan. And, you know, on one hand, I can see why. And then on the other hand, you can go and say, but there was, there's so many more, there's an, you know, a pile of people that had a better record than he did. So I don't get it. You know, sometimes uh, I know we can't forget history because if you don't know where you've been, you don't know where you're going, but you still, there's still a fascination with this guy. That's what I'm saying. Um, agreed. I, I, I guess I've been the beneficiary of that to some degree in that my, my book was a success and, as you mentioned, continued uh, to sell. Um, he's been somebody for me to talk about and, uh, and write about uh, ever since um, as I slice and dice the guy's career and, and what he meant. But part of that isn't just his record. A lot of uh, myth has attached itself uh, to Ben Hogan. Um, and the fact that he wrote what has been ever since it came out in about whatever, 1955 or 57, uh, golf's instruction book, the best selling golf book of all time, I think, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. up there or possibly beyond uh, Harvey Phoenix's book. Um, and I'm talking about five lessons, the modern fundamentals of golf. It was virtually has been the textbook for um, golf professionals and aspiring players for a, a long time. I, I'm not that fond of the book. I think it's, um, it uh, glorifies uh, geometry over um, the way humans are actually built, but that's just me. Uh, it has a lot of appeal to a lot of other people. Now, didn't Herb Warren Wind help him write that? Yeah, he uh, Wind did the the writing. An excellent uh, medical illustrator named Anthony Ravielli did those really startlingly good uh, drawings that are a big part of the thing's uh, success. Um, but Hogan Hogan was in there. I don't mean to minimize his oh, contribution, yeah. uh, but I would like to say that it was a three part effort and not just Ben. Yeah. Uh, I've actually, I found a second printing. I've never found a first printing of the book. I tend to collect, um, mm-hmm. old books and, uh, where I live, there's a, 
large retirement community kind of across the road, if you will, from us. And every once in a while, somebody there will pass and they'll have a big estate sale. So um, I always go look at their books. And that's where I, I found several old golf books there. In fact, I found one of Wynn's old books there. It was a, that wasn't a first edition. It was second. Anyway, I'm rambling. But um, yeah, it's, uh, I guess when they talked about Herb Warren Wynn, not to get off the subject, but uh, one of Jenkins's book, he's one of the guys, I think it was Blackie Sherrod or something like that, said Herb Warren Wynn can write in one paragraph what takes somebody else three pages to write. So uh, if that gives you an idea, folks, about the quality of his writing and helping Hogan, there you go. <laughs> What yeah, was, a, a marvelous writer. What, really uh, uh, Kurt, we've got about a minute before we go to break here, but what was the one thing that you learned about Hogan that really surprised you? Hmm. Oh, you know, I guess some of those things, a couple of things that seemed, um, what's the word, uh, discordant or out of character or something. The fact that... Um, he took dance lessons and turned out to be very good. He, he liked to dance, uh, the rumba or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. other Latin dance. I don't know if he was a tango man, but uh, a good dancer, uh, seems incongruous. But if you, if I were to go back a step and remember that he was also a good fighter, he liked to box. I think those two may go together. It's, that's, that's, there were probably a lot of things that, um, uh, that I didn't know that I found out, but that's, that's one that's vivid to me. Well, that's one thing, uh, you know, if you were in a Fort Worth cowboy bar, which I've been in a few of them, if you could dance and if you could throw a right hook, you were good to go. <laughs> um, we're going to take a break. We're going to be back with Kurt Sampson right after this on Girly Up the Barclays for your gold, silver, collectibles, rare coins, and high-quality jewelry. Barclays in Oregon, 503-982-2033. That's 503-982-2033. BarclaysBuySellPawn.com. Hey, welcome back to Grilling at the Green here on AM 860, The Answer. If I can talk today, that would help. Uh, We're talking with um, Kurt Sampson about his book, Hogan. And Kurt has got a new book coming out about Tiger, which we mentioned in an earlier segment. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But, uh, you know, Hogan's The Five Lessons in Golf, well, you're going to get one of Bruce Furman's lessons, and he's got multiple, not just five, right here on Grilling at the Green. Thank you, Bruce. We appreciate that. Folks, you can find Bruce at Langdon Farms. He's the head of instruction down there. Good guy. Uh, it's a lot of fun to work with, and he puts up with me, so there you go. That's all we need to know. Um, we're talking with Kurt Sampson here. You're, uh, I'd like to talk more about Hogan, but we'll do that in the after hours, but I really need to talk to you about uh, your new Tiger book. You already wrote one book on Tiger, didn't you? I did. A highly unsatisfactory effort um, published in 2002 called Chasing Tiger, uh, this book was a lot more fun, and uh, I think a much better book. It's called Roaring Back, The Fall and Rise of Tiger Woods. focuses, of course, on his uh, recent Masters win. Uh, so uh, fun to write. I sure did write it uh, fast, but I think I wrote it pretty well. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to the release at the end of October. Was Tiger cooperative with you, or was this something done from afar? 
I know better than to even bother Steiny, uh, the, the agent, uh, Mr. Steinberg, uh, because there, the, he, he wouldn't talk to me. It's just not what he does. Right. Um, recently he's, um, made a deal with, uh, the discovery channel, which owns golf TV. And, uh, he'll be, out there talking to them full time or, or anytime, hopefully entertainingly, but it's a, um, he's monetized, uh, his, his time. I, I, he's never been a very informative guy in an interview. He's just known as a, uh, a, a guy in love with cliche and with hiding stuff. So he wasn't, um, I didn't even consider, um, okay. uh, trying to, trying to get uh, an interview with him. Well, there's certainly enough information out there. Um, I can see where you you didn't need to bother with that, really. Um, and like you said, I've never met Steiny, but I've read a lot about him and talked to people that have known him or tried to get to know him. Uh, that's, you know, Doctor Doc, No is his nickname, as in No. Uh, we will have no comment on the rumors. No, you can't talk to Tiger. No, no, no. I wonder how he feels sometimes when Tiger kind of gets off the leash um, and goes in and because once in a while he'll stop and talk to somebody, not particularly the press, but like a normal human being. And I wonder how Steiny feels about that. I've always wondered about that. So, um, you know, control um, is a very high priority for people in in that, pardon me, in that orbit, uh, on that team, um, they, they, they script, they, um, are very cautious. They do not want to jeopardize the $40 million endorsement with Nike or the one with whoever Rolex monster energy drinks. Who yeah. else has he got? Why don't you, Oh, Nike, of course. Yeah. And Taylor, um, and he's doing Taylor made clubs and, and Bridgestone balls. balls. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he's a um, he's a transactional guy. He's a money machine. Um, I, you know, it makes civilians like me wonder when is it enough. But um, I'm I'm wired, I guess, so very differently uh, from Tiger that uh, you know it's okay. Just keep going. He uh, someone asked him a couple of years ago, uh, why are you getting into golf? course design now and he said with a straight face that um he wants to provide for his fa- his family and that seems like such a bald-faced lie um, how much is this family going to need how many zillions do you need to take care of uh, two kids for the next w- whatever number of years well yeah anyway. they, their kids and their kids as kids and their kids as kids uh, yeah. you know when you got that not an M, but a B on your dollar on your bank account for billions. You, I don't know. They'd have to spend a lot of money to go through all that. It's the only thing I can say. And even after um, a one hundred million dollar divorce, um, Tiger's number, the net worth is um, getting very close to one billion dollars. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, gosh, I just someday it ends. Someday it ends, you know, for all of us. It doesn't matter how much money you got. It just, the clock That's runs true. out. The clock runs yeah. out. Um, real quick, um, we're just about out of time, but I've got uh, 
time for about one short answer here. And then we're, Kurt is sticking around for after hours. Um, what's probably the biggest thing you learned about when you were researching this deal with Tiger? Because you were out there on the trail for years covering this stuff too. So you knew a lot, but did you find out anything interesting or odd? Oh, you know, this this um, this won't impress you because it's a derivative and it's somebody else's work. But I had never bothered to pick up uh, Hank Haney and Jaime Diaz's book entitled The Big Miss. Um, so I read it, and uh, um, some of it I, I thought was, wasn't worth much, but a, a lot of it was quite interesting um, uh, about Tiger's conduct, including, I mean, not all negative stuff, but um, some positive stuff. If, um, you know, I've written uh, prose poems about Hogan's practice, Tiger worked just as hard. His dedication to the practice tee has been, been total uh, and very impressive to me. There you go. Uh, Kurt Sampson, uh, your new book comes out in the middle of October. You can pre-order it now uh, on Amazon, I believe. And uh, if you want, Kurt will fly to your house and sign the copy for you. But there's that's going to increase the cost of the book a little bit. So how's that? <laughs> Well, I am going to be in your fair city at the end of October, as uh, fate would decree it. Um, so maybe I will get a chance to sign a book or two. There you, you, there you go. And yes, you will. And he's going to be speaking to some junior golfers then. And I'm going to keep him apprised of that prior to. Uh, we got to get out of here. I want to thank Kurt Sampson for being with us. He's going to be on After Hours. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of Grilling at the Green. Swing slow, everybody. Grilling at the Green is produced by JTSD Productions, LLC, in association with Salem Media Group, copyright 2019, all rights reserved. And remember, the key to lower scores, a pencil with an eraser. See you next week.